Hello, friend. This is Taylor with an exciting and important announcement before this episode begins. For the past few years, I've gotten lots of requests from men in my courses for an in-person workshop or retreat. And I'm happy to say that this year it's finally happening in the beautiful mountains just outside of Asheville on July 11th through the 14th. And it includes a nine-week online men's group and training that starts three weeks before the retreat to help us integrate the work we're going to be doing together into our regular everyday lives. The program is called Liberate Your Life Force, and it's for any man who wants to feel truly vital and alive and liberated in his life on a daily basis in things like sex, relationships, in your family, in your business, and with your mission and purpose in life. Yes, <laughs> let's take a breath to that. <sighs> mm. I am co-facilitating this program with my good friend Thomas Duchin, and we've created this program based on our years of working with hundreds of men and figuring out some of the most effective and powerful ways to help us break through the most common ways men get blocked in life, with things like sexual shame, emotional closure and numbness, being the lone wolf, being the nice guy, difficulty receiving, and so many more ways that we hold ourselves back. The good news is we can actually work through these things and come out way stronger on the other side, especially when supported by a group of men and in-person processes that challenge you to become your best self. If this is something that sounds good to you, you can go to my website and click the retreat menu option to learn more. And know that enrollment is first come, first serve by application only, and it's limited to just 18 men, so we can have a truly powerful and tight-knit group. It's going to be profound, it's going to be fun, it's going to be challenging, and I'm so excited to share it with you and the group of men who have already signed up. So if you're interested, again, check out my website. And with all that being said, let's get into today's episode. It's a very big deal. For Well, here's the thing. Here's why it's a very big deal. It's a big deal because sexual energy is our vital life force energy. And if we don't know how to own that or how to move it, how to work with and around and in it, we're like flying blind. Hello, friend, and welcome to the Sex Upgraded Podcast, a podcast for men all about sex, where we'll combine real, authentic, down-to-earth conversations about sex, life, and relationships with some pretty wild personal stories and practical how-to episodes as well to help you have the most amazing sex life you can possibly have. My name is Taylor and I'll be your host on this journey and it's my goal with each episode to give you practical, actionable tools and insights you can start using today to improve your sex life and to improve your entire life because the quality of your entire life is directly linked to your sex life. So let's begin today's episode by taking a deep breath in together through the nose into the belly. And exhaling with an audible sigh. And let's get into today's episode. by an amazing woman named Lori Handlers, who is an international sex educator and retreat leader who helps people up-level and create the sex lives they want all over the world. This is somebody who I've been referring to a lot recently. She is in her 70s, and she says that her sex life has just kept improving and kept improving and kept improving with age, and it blows my mind because so many people seem to just throw away the possibility of good sex after 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or wherever. And here she is saying, no, this is actually possible. 
And so today in this episode, we're going to get into some really interesting conversation about how you can actually create and sustain a thriving, healthy sexual relationship, how you can move past the honeymoon period and how you can actually have and exist in the relationship you truly, truly want. It's an amazing, amazing episode, and I'm so excited to share it with you. Before we do, let's take one deep breath in together. Exhale with a sigh. And let's begin today's episode. Lori, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so happy you decided to come on the show. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I like to start with a question that I ask every guest, and that is, What's something you wish you had known about sex when you were younger? So much. Um, <laughs> well, I I feel like nobody told me anything. Mm. Uh, but I was the girl that in high school that used to ask the boys things. And then I would go into the girls' locker room and tell the girls things. Mm. So did you ever see the show on TV, Sex Ed? No. You never saw the, the it's like a Netflix oh, the sex show. Education. Sex yeah, education. yeah, absolutely. I love that one. Yeah. Oh my God. What a great mm-hmm. show. So I was that, I was like that boy who said that he was the sex counselor, the, the, the son of the sex educator. Uh, I was like that. I, the boys would be standing by the high school cafeteria and I, and they, when we would walk by, they would always be saying something mm. like they would all say it, whatever it was. Mm you know, blow job or whatever. And then I would say, what's that? And one of them who was like my good friend, who was like an upperclassman would say to me, that means this. And then I would run into the locker room and tell all the girls what it meant. So I, so to satisfy my own curiosity, mm-hmm. I asked boys what they knew. What I know now as an adult mm-hmm. is that Men don't actually talk about sex with each other. Maybe high school is the last time they ever learn terms mm. with each other. But other than that, they don't speak about sex. So all these years, I thought men always talked about us, meaning women, meaning us, mm-hmm. and that they would compare notes. And that's how that they, they would learn things about sex. I thought in fraternities, they talked about it in the locker room. They And it, and. My partner, Michael, had to educate me and say, men never talk about it. They don't learn from anyone except their partners, a woman who is generous enough to share with them. So, one, I wish someone just talked to me about yeah. it. Uh, I, I made it up as I went along. I assumed, I would always assume the man should make the move first mm. because he knew more than me because, after all, men talked about it. And I got it all wrong. Mm. So I wish I knew all of that. I wish I knew (laughs) the truth about all of that when I was growing up. And I also, I put a lot of effort into maintaining my reputation Mm. uh, for a long time. And reputations don't mean anything. Mm. I mean, it's maybe in high school they do, but after that, they don't mean a thing. And it's up to everybody to regulate and organize their own stance on sexuality. And luckily, I came to realize that. And um, when you say reputation, yeah. So I wish I knew that. Yeah, I wish I knew that. I'm sovereign, and it's up to me what I do. So thanks for that question. It's really good. It's you could come at it from so many different angles. Totally. Yeah, and thank you for that answer. And upon hearing you share, I'm reflecting. 
yeah, in my own experience, like growing up, we did talk about sex briefly in high school, but then it did kind of drop off a cliff after a while. And meanwhile, I really struggled with sex when I was younger. And so did all these other guys. And I had no idea. I just assumed everybody was doing great except for me. <laughs> and it was this strange, isolating experience. And yeah, most, <laughs> it seems like most guys don't talk about sex, but here we are. We're trying to change that. That's why I'm here because talking about it can, yeah, it just can unlock unlock so, so much. So thank you for all the talking that you do about sex and all the workshops I've been in of yours. You've been a big yeah. inspiration of mine. And yeah, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's important work. It's a big, it's a very big deal for, well, here's the thing. Here's why it's a very big deal. It's a big deal because sexual energy is our vital life force energy. Yeah. And if we don't know how to own that, number one, and how to regulate it or how to move it, how to, how to work with and around and, and in it, yeah. then we don't, then we're, we're like flying blind. Yeah, totally. And sometimes I would, I would <laughs> so. even argue that a, a lot of people are flying worse than blind because instead of learning about sex from <laughs> useful sources, we're learning about it from porn, which is, it's, totally not what sex actually is, you know, so we're flying worse than blind, but that's a tangent. That's a tangent we could go down. I'd like to go in a different direction and say, you're somebody who's come up uh, a lot in that. I've been sharing your name a lot recently. Actually, I go to the YMCA sauna a lot here and I'll share people, share with people, you know, I have this, this person I really look up to who's, who's older than me, who says that she keeps having the best sex of her life as she gets older and she gets older. And I'm every time I say it and every time I hear you talk about it, I'm blown away a little bit and thinking like, wow, this is, you know, 30 years from now, I want to continue to be having these amazing experiences. And I'm telling your name to these people who've kind of, they've thrown in the towel, if you will, or they've given up and they figured, Oh, I'm older than 60. Like, fuck it. It doesn't matter anymore. Or et cetera, et cetera. And so I've got a lot of things I'd like to ask you, but I'd like to just start off with that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I love talking about that. So I have, first of all, I'm going to have a new book coming out. It's it's at the publishers now and it's in its final edit. So I can't tell people where to get it yet, but mm-hmm. the book is was going to be called uh, Sex and Happiness Over 60. It only gets better. But mm-hmm. my publisher does not want me to limit my audience to people only over 60, rightly mm-hmm. so. So it's going to be called Sex and Happiness at Any Age. And uh, I wrote it because people expect when they're 50 that they're supposed to stop. They're just going to shrivel up and die. They're they're not, you know, they're going to be, their whole pleasure in life is going to be watching television. And that's, Mm. that's a myth. That's ridiculous. First of all, people are very vital at 50. So here's the thing. The life expectancy of people has changed. When uh, back in the 1500s or 1600s, people only lived till about 20, 25. And then we got, we got different inventions. When we got eyeglasses, people's expectancy was higher because now you could see the bear. You could see mm. the, you know, the wild animal coming for you. You could see other threats. And so glasses changed our life expectancy. And then penicillin changed our life 
mm-hmm. expectancy tremendously yeah. and all the advances in science. I'm not talking about conspiracy theory. I don't want to get into that right now, but all the <laughs> advances in science up until 2020 uh, ex- it increased our lifespan to to be, it was to 75 and now it's to 100 and some scientists are saying 120. Mm. So our sex life is very important in all of this. Mm. We need oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, and there's one other one. We need all of those. You can get them from running, but I'd rather get them from sex. <laughs> it's more pleasurable. Yeah. <laughs> so we need the cocktail in the brain, not just to feel sexual and feel aroused, but we need a, our brains need those those chemicals mm. to to for proper functioning. So sex is imperative. That's one. Two. Sex stimulates the whole body. It stimulates our blood flow. It stimulates our oxygen. It stimulates the way we breathe. It's it's uh, the arousal in the body makes us feel more alive. So it's like, stay alive, have sex. <laughs> but then there's one other thing, and that is um, sex magic, mm. which is if I'm going to practice sex magic, I'm going to set my intention at the moment of orgasm mm. or at the moment of peaking. I'm going to set it in ahead of time. And then when I'm in a sexual encounter... I'm going to say my intention, which is for me to be a forever body. I want to stick around. Mm. So I want to say, I want to be excited. I want to be aroused. I want to stick around. I'm going to say those words out loud. Mm. Even if it sounds crazy to my partner, I'm going to say those things in the moment that I'm orgasming. Mm. So all of those things are important. Um, People need blood tests when they're about 50 mm-hmm. to, to see where their hormones are at. If women have gone through menopause, they need to get a blood test to see where their hormones mm-hmm. are. If men, men don't have the same, men have andropause, but they don't know it. That's another thing men don't talk about. Mm-hmm. So they need a blood test and they need to see where their testosterone levels are. And then they, they might need to augment their hormones also so that they feel terrific. And then there's, there's tons of other right. things. There's lubes that have CBD, there's pills, there, you know, there's all kinds of things, but I think that people should stay vitally sexually active for as long as they live. Yeah. yeah. Cheers to that. <laughs> cheers. Yeah. Cheers to that. And just for anybody listening who has never heard the term andropause before, uh, could you speak to that just briefly? What is andropause? Yeah. Andropause is this also midlife change that happens in mm-hmm. men where their hormones change and their hormonal levels drop, especially testosterone. Mm-hmm. And uh, men are not educated about this. No one writes about this. No one speaks about mm-hmm. this. No, look, when I was growing up, no one spoke about menopause. Right. So I started going through menopause and I didn't know what was happening to mm-hmm. me. And I called my mother and she did not, she didn't want to talk about it. Of course. <laughs> well, basically what I said was, Ma, when you were going through menopause, did you feel like you wanted to kill people? Like, did your mood swing swing? Yeah. And my mother said, no, I didn't. And so I called my father. I said, Pop, 
when mom was going through menopause, did she feel like she wanted to kill people? And he goes, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, that's awesome. So no one would talk about it and no one was talking about it. I was, I had such a hard time with it. Mm. And now, you know, people are talking about it. So, so younger people have a chance to come into these periods of their life change with more grace yeah, and with more information. And people like myself have talked about mm. it. People like people, other people are talking about. It. So men go through a change too. They may, their bodies make more estrogen than they're used to. Mm-hmm. And so that may cause them to gain weight. It also, sleep changes, sleep patterns change. Yeah. As men age, they have trouble sleeping through the night. And that also can, can if you see a good naturopath, a naturopath can do something about that. Yeah. Most traditional doctors don't know that much about it. You know, it's interesting to hear you speak about this. And I'm thinking... Menopause is pretty commonly talked about these days, or at least it seems to me there's there's a greater awareness around menopause. But yeah, not so much the andropause thing. So so thank you. And and when I th- what- well, also let me just point yeah, yeah. out that you are in the right circles. So people who are in sex positive community circles, mm-hmm. there's information being shared, and and you you know someone like me. Yeah. You a, a a guy. I don't know even what your age is, but a guy your age usually doesn't meet and befriend a woman in her 70s like that doesn't happen unless you're unique unless (laughs) you want to (laughs) what are you trying to say (laughs) yeah no literally how many men how old are you 37 yeah so most 37 year olds do not friend yeah 70-something-year-olds, it just or 60-something-year-olds, it just doesn't happen. But you're in the teaching space, and you're also in this sex-positive uh, activist community space. Yeah. And so we, we all share and speak to each other, and we're friends. Yeah. But most people my age don't have friends your age unless they're their kids. Yeah. Or their grandkids. Yeah, totally. So, which is a, a whole other tangent of a great problem, <laughs> like bummer about our current society that we're all we're all sort of segmented <laughs> in our own little age groups, you know, and not interacting yeah. so much. I'm very happy to know you, and and share this, you know, the life experience. With Thank you. you. Yeah, it's great. My life is richer because I of feel it. the same. Yeah. And so, yeah, I feel the same. Great. Oh, <laughs> and so when I when I think of the elements that would create a successful sex life going into the future. It seems like there are a number of variables at play there, but one of them, I was looking back through your posts before this interview and some of the things that you've said, and somewhere you said something to the effect that couples are an endangered species, I think is your actual quote, you know, and that you're on a mission to help save couples from that. And so I imagine that definitely has an impact on the longevity of a sex life, you know, the quality of your relationship. So what do you mean when you say couples are an endangered species? Well, one, people get no education. Look, this is like, I, this is a rant. Um, Rant, go for it. Yeah. People learn about relationships from Walt Disney. Hmm. Like women think someday their prince will come and they'll live. He'll he'll find a gold. I mean a 
Yeah, a gold slipper or a glass slipper, and he'll be able to find whose feet it fit on, and then they'll live happily ever after. That's never been more bullshit (laughs) in life than that. So my pet peeve, we learn algebra and geometry. I never use algebra. I never use geometry. I mean, maybe I do, but, you know, I don't remember using geometry lately. But I didn't learn how to have relationships. Mm -hmm. I didn't learn how to communicate in school. I didn't learn how to love in school. I didn't learn how to get over hate or get over a breakdown in school. I didn't learn the things that would be the most important things in my life. Yeah. And, uh, but I was told that I would live happily ever after. So in between algebra and living happily ever after is a gap. <laughs> yeah, a pretty big gap. <laughs> pretty big gap. And um, so everyone I know wants to be in love. Mm-hmm. Everyone I want to know, uh, everyone I know wants to find the one. And now some people want to find the two and the three and the four. And they still don't know how to communicate. They still don't know how to return to love. They mm-hmm. still don't know how, what to do when there's a breakdown in communication or when someone has had a betrayal or maybe it was a boundary trespass that, that was un- unconscious to the person who trespassed. Mm-hmm. And all those things were not taught in school. So couples are an endangered species. <laughs> they come together. They plan a life. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're open in relating. Maybe they're close in relating. To me, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Any pair that wants to come together and have an intimacy. So for the first part, they don't know anything about relating. Mm-hmm. Two, once they have a kid, everything changes. Like a kid changes everything. And now you, you have a third little person mm-hmm. that you don't know how to communicate to or what to do with the breakdown or whatever. Although there is more written about that and spoken about child raising than there is about coupling. Mm. And then people don't understand that when they're together for too long or they're together and erase, let me see if I could say it Mm. better. When they're together for a while and they become closer, a number of things happen. One, they neutralize their polarities so then they don't have any more spark Mm. or attraction. Two, there's odd things that happen like they roll their eyes at each other they become impatient they uh, women start to emasculate the men Mm. Uh, men start to resist anything the woman says i mean i'm talking about hetero here but i know it happens in same-sex couples as well Mm -hmm. we just There's so much acting against us that's in the unconscious that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. Um, What I've learned is that women speak differently than men speak and that men are just trying to get it right. They're trying to please us. They're trying to make us happy and we don't even know how to say good job. Uh, We just, we take for, like, you should have taken the trash out or you should (laughs) have done this. Why didn't you listen to me? I mean, (laughs) 
there's so much working against people being able to stay together mm-hmm. that it's remarkable that anyone makes it. Yeah, it is. I mean, if they do. And the statistics around making it are not so great in today's society, you know, depending on like, no, they're not. if you're, if you're considering longevity, the marker of making it or not, it's like, I don't say over half of marriages end in divorce now. And maybe the other half of marriages that don't end in divorce are unhappy marriages. So that's pretty abysmal statistics. If your goal is to actually have a long-term relationship uh, longer term yeah. than just the honey, the honeymoon period. And it occurs to me. Exactly. And my, yeah. And in my experience, like when, like we are as biological creatures, we're wired to have that love that happens or that infatuation, we'll call it, when you meet somebody and that that sustains for a year, maybe a year and a half, maybe two years tops. But then all those other things start to happen. Like you start rolling your eyes, you start looking around at other people, you start being a little more frustrated with your partner, et cetera. And this, what we call the honeymoon period kind of wears off. And you're right. Like, it's a different skill set. It's an entirely different skill set that we're not trained in to keep the satisfaction, the charge, the polarity, whatever you want to call it alive. So what's, what's the magic trick? Is there one (laughs) or is it? (laughs) No, there's not a magic trick. Um, I mean, Michael and I have uh, designed a a course called extraordinary lovers to teach Mm -hmm. people skills in a bunch of areas. So one is self-love, mm-hmm. the areas, self-love, love of the other, love that manifests. Mm. That's to keep it rich and exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's we teach skills and we also teach rituals to help people communicate inside of a ritual space. Mm-hmm. Or uh, we teach seduction as a team sport, like no one person should be stuck with having to be the seducer all the time Mm -hmm. and so on. So we, so there's a lot of things to consider and we made it up. I mean, what I realized was when we met and when we started to relate Mm -hmm. it, my relating with him was different from any relating I ever had before. And I've never been married Mm -hmm. in my 70 plus years. Mm -hmm. I never was that excited to stay long enough with a person. You know, like I'd be with a person for a year or so, and then I'd look at, roll over and go, I can't stay with this person any longer. (laughs) It's not that they weren't good people. Mm -hmm. It's just that they didn't meet me. Like they didn't meet me in interest, adventure, excitement, intellect, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Sexually, we might've been great. I might've been really attracted to the person, but, I couldn't see a future with anyone I was ever with. Maybe I didn't know how to pick or I don't know. All yeah. I know is I never had the urge to stay mm-hmm. with someone. And when I met Michael, things were different. He touched me differently. Like I thought, I said to him, where did you learn how to touch a woman's body? Mm. And he said to me, I Googled it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I, I was mean, just if it like, works, wait, it works, I've been in- you know? Yeah, I said I've been in tantra circles for 20 years and no one's ever touched me the way you touch me. How did mm-hmm. I mean what is this? And he mm-hmm. said I googled it. I I I had to learn how to be with a woman after I got divorced. He said mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do. So there were different things. We also were very well trained. We were both very we were landmark education graduates. He did Alison Armstrong's courses. Mm-hmm. 
Now I have, he did a bunch of other seminars. I made it my business to learn how to communicate assertively and then also uh, nonviolent communication. And so we started to list what was different about us from us being with anyone else. And we, mm. once we listed all that, I said, we have the grounds for a course here. Mm. This is needed in this, in this world right now. The sex is needed. The communication is needed. Mm. The rituals are needed. The boundaries are needed. All these things that certainly Walt Disney didn't give us any indication. No. No, he <laughs> certainly didn't. Yeah. <laughs> So you. So said- that's where the extraordinary love came about. And I'll just give you the definition yeah, so you could look in your own life and anyone listening can look in their lives too. Our definition of extraordinary lover mm. is somebody who causes their partner to experience oxytocin. Hmm. So think about that the next time you're having that argument. Mm-hmm. Is this causing oxytocin in my partner mm-hmm. or is it not? Maybe yeah. I could change something. Mm. So that really shifts yeah. the fr- that really shifts the frame of awareness from what is my partner doing for me or for us to what can I do for my partnership as an entity itself? You know, like how do I show up to create the kind of relationship I actually want in my everyday actions, more or less? Exactly. Well, yeah. you know, one of my greatest teachers started Est and Landmark, Werner Erhard, and he, Werner always said, promise what's missing. So people complain yeah. like, he doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. They never do this. When every time I ask for this, they do the opposite. Whatever the complaint is, mm-hmm. behind every complaint is a commitment to something that somebody really wants. It's a commitment to, to quality. It's a commitment to excellence. And rather than complain, to promise that which is missing and to produce it in the relationship rather than expecting the other person to do it. Mm. Yeah, that takes a good amount of internal awareness, I would, I would imagine. Or at least the knowledge that that's even possible, you know, to take a step back. Well, all the reason, all the reason to go on trainings. All the reason to go on retreats. Absolutely. Get trained. Absolutely. You know, the first question I asked my partner when I met him, we were having a glass of wine. And the first question I said to him was, what have you spent money on in terms of your personal growth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's all I cared about. It's a big question. And it, it's something I've been thinking about recently, too, is that in our society, there's so many different avenues for people to grow and things for people to explore. And if you take martial arts, for example, if somebody wants to study jujitsu, this is an example I've been using, you wouldn't go for two weeks and expect to be very masterful at this craft, nor would you take up oil painting and expect that in two months or six months, even you would be a master at it. No, you would need to go study from people who've put in the work and, and can train you in really useful things in this domain. And it's for some reason, it seems like in our society, sex has just been conveniently omitted from the category of things that we need to learn about as if we should all be experts at it somehow inherently. And that just, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yes. (laughs) 
Yeah, we weren't. Well, we were. That was hidden from us. We come from the Puritans, mm-hmm. and that was hidden from us, from at least in this culture. But you may have a multicultural audience, mm-hmm. and so in other countries, people get trained, but they're not as uptight as Americans. Yeah. I mean, when I teach in Germany or when I teach in uh, this, I taught in Bulgaria this pa- uh, this past year. Yeah. I, I've t- I taught in uh, I've taught in England. I taught in Italy, and nobody is as uptight as uh, as Americans. Really, I've taught sure. in South in South America. People are uptight; they're super religious. But in um, in Europe and in Australia and New Zealand, I don't think people are as uptight as Americans. Mm. It was shocking to me. Interesting. I guess. Yeah. I guess not entirely surprising if I actually think about it, like how different countries came to be in different ways. Yeah. Yes. But even still, I would imagine. So I, yeah, I do have clients from all over the world in all these different countries. And even if they do have a more open-minded approach to things, they're still not learning these things as much as they're learning algebra, you know? Right. (laughs) We should have a relationships. We should have a relationships 101 class in high school that every, like imagine how the world would be different if we had that. That would be amazing. Exactly. That'd be amazing. It would have saved me exactly. from a lot of pain and my all my previous partners from a lot of pain. And yeah. So you said there were, I think there were three things you mentioned, three components. Uh, you mentioned this this important yeah. piece of self-love, right? And lo- love of the other. Um, and then love that manifests. Love that manifests. So I'd love to touch on those three just to understand them a little bit more deeply. This first one, obviously, self-love. Uh, but maybe it's not so obvious. Like, what is what does that mean in the context no. of what you're talking about? Well, I heard, and I didn't know exactly what it meant until I did, mm. which was, I had. How could I love somebody else if I didn't love myself? How could I expect somebody else to love me if I don't love myself? Mm. So again, back to the cartoonist. Um, <laughs> People were out there searching for their other half, searching for their perfect mate, mm-hmm. searching for someone who would love them so much that they would then become complete. Uh, that was the paradigm I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And um, n- n- no. <laughs> One, if I don't come from a well, a full well of love, mm-hmm. I don't have anything to contribute to you. I do not have. I, I'm I'm just not coming with a with a full suitcase mm-hmm. or a full playing field or you know. I can't give you anything. I can't offer you anything if I don't have it to give. Right. So you're going to be taking from me and inadvertently so, in some way. Exactly. Yeah. So that's one. I need I need to fill up my own love of self. Mm-hmm. And most of us were not taught to love ourselves. We were taught that that was um, egotistical, mm-hmm. uh, uh, arrogant uh, things. There were things talked about that, like people who seemed to love themselves mm-hmm. were seen to be something wrong with them. Uh, braggadocious, I've heard. I've heard all kinds of things. But so it, there was something discouraged about that. Mm-hmm. Humble, you have to be humble. You, you know, don't, 
whatever it is. Anyway, I'm against all that. Mm. I, I say I have to love myself both physically, emotionally, and mentally. I have to appreciate myself. I have to know what my strengths are. Mm-hmm. I have to know what my areas that aren't so strong are so I can improve them. But I have to realistically look at myself and go, I'm okay. Yeah. You know, when I, when I was, I think when I was in college, the book came out, I'm okay, you're okay. Mm. And it was about transpersonal or transactional therapy. And it was a good book. I'm okay. I had to go. I, I used to have a workshop, an assertiveness training workshop, where primarily for women, and then I started doing it for men. And at the end of the class, everyone had to stand up one at a time and go, I'm, and they'd say their name and then go, and I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> they had to say that. That's that's awesome. It seems like a really small step, but it's really important to know that that I'm okay. No, it seems it seems very important in our in the context of our society when we're constantly bombarded with advertisements telling us that we're not okay and we need to buy products to make us be okay and be better. You know, or seems, or do this to my lips, right? Or be, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, totally to be more attractive <laughs> so you can be better. Absolutely. So there's, yeah. okay. So there's a couple of different elements to this. It sounds like, and, and I'm really hearing the importance and I'm, I'm feeling this too, of coming into lovemaking, coming into relationship. Yes. And possibly coming into sex also with this full cup of self-love. And so my question is, what are some things I could do to cultivate that self-love? Do I just sit there and think about how I like myself? Are there other things you would do if somebody came to you and said, Lori, how do I, how do I love myself more? What would you say? I would say uh, take t- oh, there's so many things. Um, take time for yourself. Examples. Figure out figure out what what you like and what you don't like. Figure out what your values are. Figure out what your boundaries are. A lot of people don't want to tell. This is one of the big things. A lot of people don't want to tell their boundaries when they first meet somebody. One, they haven't spent any time thinking about it. Or, but it's big now. Mm. So. Maybe I have spent time thinking about it, but I meet you and I want you to really like me. So I don't want to tell you my boundaries because mm. I'm afraid you won't like me if you don't like my boundaries. That is ridiculous. Yeah. If I tell you my boundaries and you don't like or respect them, you're not my person. Mm. I don't care how you look and how much chemistry we have. If you don't rec- if you don't recognize my- like my I have a boundary about coming on time. Mm-hmm. If you show up twice late for me, on th- I don't make a third time with you. Mm. So whoever you are, you're out. Strike three, you're out. I don't even give you a chance to get up a bath. <laughs> like <laughs> my time is too important yeah. to me. So that's a boundary that I have. And I say that right away. I say the first time somebody's late, I say, okay, I need you to know something. Mm. I have a boundary about time. I'll make another plan with you. You'll have a chance to show up on time. If you don't show up on time, then I'm not going to give you another plan. Mm. I do that with my friends. I do that with my business associates. I do that with everyone. Yeah, They're not my person. And I imagine if somebody... Like if you were to change your boundary to suit somebody else's needs, you would probably experience a loss of feeling good about yourself, I imagine, because you're letting some important, something that you value go that's for the sake of connection with somebody who's not really honoring you. Exactly. 
or I'd be angry. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have best friends who I've taught this lesson to. I mean, and they're still friends of mine, even though, I mean, I can remember being in a restaurant waiting for my best friend, who's still my best friend. And I, she used to be notoriously late. And I got there. I ordered. I had a drink. I, you know, this was in the 70s. I ordered. I finished. And just as I was paying the bill, she arrived. Mm. And I said to her, I've finished. I'm paying the bill. I'm going now. I'll see you. Mm. Don't ever show up late for me again. And she was like, <laughs> I walked out. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> and we're still friends. And you know what? She doesn't show up late for me ever. We're friends over 40 years. Mm. Um, I just trained her back then. Yeah. I believe it. Um, so, okay. So that's, so we got, we got, we saw, we went down the boundaries rabbit hole. So, mm-hmm. so I said, yeah. My what I value, what I like and don't like, what my boundaries are, whatever, and I tell you very early on, mm-hmm. and I also say no, very early on to something. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Want to go to the movies? No. Want to have dinner at this restaurant? No. Why? We both survived hearing no. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's big. So you say no as a practice, even if even if maybe you are interested in that thing at some point beginning in the early set in the early stages, you say no, just for the workshopping of the no experience. It sounds like. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So that's really, so self-love in that, in that, in those areas are really important. And then self-pleasure, like touching my body, giving myself what I want, what I expect somebody else to give me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is invaluable because, I need this whether I'm in a relationship or not. Yeah. I need to keep moving my own energy, finding out more things about myself that I like, that I love, that I want, and giving it to myself and not expecting somebody else to provide that for me. Yeah. Then when somebody else comes, it's, a, it's like a cherry on the cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that really hits me. I remember years ago, actually, at the it was a, at a Tantra effects. Tantra, Tantra festival in Mexico years ago, <clears throat> I was there and you were leading a sex magic workshop. And I had previously heard you talk about the importance of being your own best lover. And you said, okay, now it's time to pair up. And there's this room of over a hundred people all wearing like red and white and super sexy, beautiful clothing. And I see people pairing up and it, internally I had this stimulus like, oh, I need to go find my partner, you know, or I wasn't in a romantic relationship, but I like, I need to go find a sexy person to do the sex magic thing with. But then I heard your words again in my head, be your own best lover. And I thought, wow, this would be really amazing to try to do by myself because so much of my life up until that point, I had been focused on finding the other and hadn't done as much internal cultivation. And so I did, I went through the whole sex magic ritual by myself. Maybe there were like nine or 10 other people in this whole room of, of, paired up people doing it by themselves. And it was a really profound experience for me of, of it felt like a gift. And I remember feeling lit up and charged in this way that was, yeah, really impactful. I didn't know, I didn't know the power of choosing myself until, until that moment, really. It was, it was beautiful. So I remember that. I don't, I remember you writing about it 
And I've told people the story about that. I have quoted you <laughs> saying, like, you chose yourself. Mm-hmm. It was really powerful for me to hear your, what happened for you as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And I, like, you know, here we are, and we can't say it enough. Like, people need to know what it's like to choose themselves. How can you expect somebody else to choose you if you don't choose you? Yeah. You know, there was a, there's an old Groucho Marx joke, you know, that says, I wouldn't be the member of any club that I, I wouldn't want to be a member of any club that admitted me as a member. Mm. That's old thinking. Mm-hmm. That's old, you know, that's not funny. No. It's not a joke. Uh, I would, I choose myself. I remember, well, the current organization that I work for, mm-hmm. I remember them saying to me, you know, why should we make you a lead facilitator? And I said, it doesn't occur for me as a choice. Mm. I walk into a room and lead everything. Like I just start leading whether I'm the leader or I'm not the leader. I don't take away from other leaders, but <laughs> I'm just a leader. I walk in the room and I take charge. Yeah. So it's not a choice. You can make me one or don't make me one. It doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would choose myself yeah. over and over again. Yeah. It's a super beautiful and important thing to do. And a, it's a good reminder for me to do that as well. I'm in a long-term relationship right now. And for both of us, it is a practice to continuously do the things by ourselves that light us up so that we can come back together with a more full cup, you know? So like sometimes beautiful. for me, that's even like, I'll take myself out to dinner. And even still, when I do that at 30 fucking seven years old, even when I take myself out for dinner now, there's still this little voice of anxiety internally that I have to acknowledge and say, it's cool. You can chill out. But that says, oh, you're going out by yourself. Like there's something wrong here. You know, like you should be with other people or are you not good enough for other people? And it's amazing. Like, even though I know that that's not true, that voice still exists somewhere internally. And it's just like, I kind of marvel at it now. Like, holy shit, that's in all of us, I imagine, on some level, you know? Yeah, it is. It really is. Amazing. So then you wanted to talk about the other two parts, like love of the other. Um, So love of the other, like, you know, having to get to know what the person values and what their boundaries Mm -hmm. are and respecting them. Let's say a word about boundaries here for a minute. Um, Boundaries are only necessary until they're not. Mm. So my time boundary is always. But I have other boundaries mm-hmm. that, are, that don't last necessarily. So when I meet somebody, I may have a boundary about how physically connected I want to be with them or what things I might want to do with them and what things I don't. Mm. And so that may change as I get one, as I get to know them and I trust them. And how I build trust is because they respect my boundary. Mm. So, and then I respect their boundary and then they build trust with me. So boundaries are necessary in the beginning, but I look at it like this. If I, if you and I didn't speak the same language, but we played tennis, Mm -hmm. we would could go into any tennis court in any country of the world and we could play tennis and never understand one word that either of us spoke, but we know the rules of tennis. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a playing field, there's a net, there's two alleys on the side, and then there's a midline. And we would know how to serve, and we would know how to respond, and we would know when a ball was out. Mm-hmm. We would know that. We don't know that about relationships. Mm. 
that's why people have to state their boundaries so that you get the playing field mm-hmm. and you get the net <laughs> and you get the, line, mm-hmm. the center line and you get the alleys and you know when it's out. Yeah. And then, and then you can play, mm-hmm. then you can, you can connect then you can, you can operate. And, um, when someone says to me, they don't have any boundaries. Like I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. And when somebody says, I don't have that many, or I only have this or what I don't believe, you know, I just go, come on, give them up because, I, we need those in the beginning, yeah. and we may need those all the way through. It depends on which ones they are. Yeah. So, so I, to love somebody else is to, respect, is to respect the boundary, even if we don't understand it, yeah. even if we don't agree with it, but to actually respect it because that way they'll trust us mm. and that way we'll know how to operate in the playing field that we are creating. Yeah. So I'd like to give just an example of how <clears throat> I love that. I love the, that particular frame of boundaries and makes me think something my partner and I just have done falls into that category. Tickling. Tickling can be fun. I enjoy <laughs> tickling her. She sometimes loves being tickled. Other times it's, it's too much, you know, and recently it has become this thing where it's it might appear like it's fun, but actually it does this strange sort of depolarization in our relationship and puts her into contraction, kind of concerned about, oh, when's the next tickle coming? You know, when is that next sort of thing happen? So there was, we, she set a boundary. We set a boundary of like, okay, no tickling for this amount of time, you know, and, and, I'm excited about that because that helped me realize the impact. Oh, look at this is the larger impact this is having on the tennis game of our relationship or something, you know, like, and, and I like, I like how you said, yeah, boundaries are useful until they're not. And I think this boundary will be useful until maybe it's not necessary anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So that's so important. Um, So that's, you know, that's part of loving another. Mm -hmm. Uh, loving them, learning to love them and them learning to love us as we are, not as the potential mm. or not as what we want them to be. Too many people find someone that they're attracted to and then they try to make them into a project. Mm. You know, I love this guy and now I'm going to change him. Yeah. He, he is going to change and I am going to change because we have an effect on each other. But I'm not going into it to try and make this person my project. Mm-hmm. They're going to pretty much be the way they are. Uh, and, 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 and if I can't love them for who they are or appreciate them for who they are, respect their boundaries, then what am I doing with them? Again, it's not my person. Yeah. Yeah. Super so important. That felt so New York. He's not my person. <laughs> anyway, whatever. <laughs> yeah. and, and not your person for the moment. Not this, like, not my one knight in shining armor forever of all of time, you know, but yeah, totally. I hear you. Exactly. So, exactly. So, and then the third part mm-hmm. has to do with um, people who, okay, so people who get into coupledom mm-hmm. and then they dig a moat around themselves and they say us against the world Mm. 
um, that is not, I don't know. That's just old school thinking. That's all I, that's all. That's a very old paradigm. And I don't know where it came from Mm -hmm. or who invented it or whatever. I'm pretty sure my parents had it. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure their friends all had it. My mother used to say, you know, don't tell family secrets. Don't talk about money. Mm -hmm. Don't do this. Don't do that. Like the family has to stay together as a unit and we're against sort of against everybody else, yeah. even people we love. So that doesn't work. Yeah. And this, <laughs> and, just like, and this is part of the love that manifests category? Yeah, yeah. 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 So I think it's important to say my relationship has a higher purpose. Hmm. I joined with my partner, have a higher purpose, of what we're doing on the planet. Now, he and I are beyond child-rearing age. Mm-hmm. I certainly can't have a child at this age. He already has two grown children mm-hmm. and two grandchildren. And believe me, his purpose is not those children. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother thing. You right. know, like there's people who like their whole purpose is like, this child I'm raising. No, actually any animal can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, animals that don't talk have children Mm -hmm. and their whole life purpose doesn't just when they're growing up and they're little infants is when they protect them. But then they like birds send their their offspring out of the nest like weeks after they're born. We're only humans are attached. Mm. So I don't think people's higher purpose is their children. I think they have to set a higher purpose. Mm. I think they have to say what their purpose is. So right now, Michael's and my purpose is. Couples are an endangered species Mm. where our relationship is purposefully exposing what people didn't learn and exposing that which could be learned and could change those statistics that you and you didn't even get into second and third marriage statistics, but the statistics are higher. Mm -hmm. It's more like 72% of second marriages end in divorce Mm. and third marriages it's something like 80 percent. it's ridiculous like who's the point is if i break up with you and i go on to my next relationship who's who's the common who's the common person there me so i didn't learn if i don't learn anything from relationship Mm -hmm. one relationship two how am i going to be better getting a new model i'm not yeah people are not like cars Mm. As much as we would like to think sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to trade you in for a new model, baby. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I really like this piece around setting an intention for the relationship or, or co-creating the relational intention. And, and even because that necessitates bringing awareness to the fact that when you come together with somebody else, you're creating something that's bigger than just the two of you. In, in whatever form, maybe that's a romantic sexual relationship, maybe that's a business relationship, but that's still an entity, a, a thing that deserves its own attention and awareness. So I really like the idea, like what what is our intention for our relationship? That's a great question. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. And so my my personal intention came out of a, came out of a seminar I was doing at Landmark 
probably in the 90s. Mm. And that was like they said to set a vision statement, one that you were in. Like I always had vision statements that I didn't think I'd live to make it to. Mm. And then I set one called that says uh, women and men dancing in eternal ecstasy on earth now. Mm. And I have it. It's even engraved on this ring that I have. That didn't all fit, so it's abbreviated, but it's on this ring. Nice. And um, and I said that's what I was going to set. Everything I did was going to be inside that umbrella of I love dancing. Women and men, like they make each other wrong, like the, there's gender hatred. And so I said, I'm going to set my life and everything that I do up for women and men dancing with each other mm. and ecstasy. I got ecstasy from Tantra. And then I said, now, so it would be like my now. And so I had that vision. And then Michael heard about my vision. Of course, he read it in my book. Mm. And we just started to live that. And then we came up with couples are an endangered species. What can we do about that? Mm. That, that's, that fits into my personal vision statement. Mm-hmm. And so we just started to go for that. And we came up with, let's teach people how to be extraordinary lovers. Mm. That's beautiful. And so, yeah. And so that's what, that's why we wake up every morning. And that's, that's the, that's the other piece. If you don't, if a person doesn't have a purpose, mm-hmm. then lots of times there's lots of things that give us self doubt. And um, when we're in our darkest times, we're really doubting ourselves and we're going through it, you know, the dark night of the soul. And it mm-hmm. happens to people more than once in their life. Definitely happens at midlife, but it happens um, whatever that is, yeah. midlife. Um, but it happens then and it happens, people say, at Saturn return. I'm not really into astrology, but whatever that all means. Mm-hmm. Um, you, If you don't have a purpose, it's really hard to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. But if you have a purpose to live into, as they would say in landmark expression, mm-hmm. that's like a purpose to live into, then then you're kind of sunk. So I've always had pretty much a purpose to live into. Yeah. Can you say the purpose, your personal purpose again about the yeah. dancing? Women and men dancing in eternal ecstasy on earth now. Mm. I really like that because it's so present moment focus. And when I listened to that and closed my eyes and felt it, like I feel there's this signature to that. That's like, Oh, I could, I could feel that. I know what that's like. I know like I can dance. I can dance. Holy shit. Maybe I, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel this thing. Yeah. So I like that. It's a, it's a semantically different from saying something like I am going to, I'm, I'm going to be a successful whatever, you know, or like I am a successful this thing. It's like, no, I am speaking to this. It's like a quality of existence that you are a commitment to. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So listen, it's, it's the transpersonal. So the way I learned mm. to do vision statements was not to put I, mm. that it wasn't personal. It is very personal to me, but mm. when I say it, in order to get uh, people excited by it or understanding that this is what I'm doing, mm-hmm. 
it, it, I have to take me out of it. And I have to just say, this exists. This is the existence that I'm promoting. I want it. And you may want it. And I invite you to it. And it, it doesn't have me in it. Mm. So it's a transpersonal statement. That's beautiful. And may, may we all listening right now make a statement like that. I know this afternoon I'm going to go take some time and actually and try to craft one for myself because it sounds like such a good exercise. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And I know You're welcome. I think yeah, let's let's wrap things up. I know you have some extraordinary lovers retreats coming up or at least one. Is that accurate? Yeah, actually they're in the planning stages right now. I'm going to we're going to do one in um we're going to do one in Austin in May. Mm-hmm. Austin, right. Texas, for all our Austin folks, a lot of folks in Austin, mm-hmm. got big community there. We're going to do one in the Dominican Republic in November, the week before Thanksgiving, 2023. Nice. And, um, and then we have, we have another one in the works. Maybe I like European people are vying. European organizers are vying for where we're going to do it. So it's either, Probably in the summertime, hmm. uh, it'll be in either Berlin or, or like Germany, Croatia, or Holland. Like I have, we haven't decided yet. But anyway, the the three day experience has all the components of the week long experience, mm-hmm. although it's not spacious. Yeah, like it's packed. Yeah, and then the week long experience has more spaciousness and downtime and swimming time and whatever. Mm-hmm. And couples and singles are welcome to come. Singles come who don't want to make the same mistake again and again and again Mm -hmm. and again. At our last one, we had four singles and they paired. And it's amazing because they're continuing on. Like they actually met at the thing. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) We've also had a couple or two come and break up. Mm -hmm. Like they broke, they returned to love and then they realized that they needed to separate Yeah, and they separated in love terms. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a terrible, you know, like a hellish mm-hmm. breakup. So we have couples and singles um, and we don't care about their gender preference or anything like that. We don't really don't care. Beautiful. Um, yeah. So that's coming up and it's exciting. And so. And they can come. They can find out at my website, nice. lauriehandlers.com. lauriehandlers.com. Go there if you want to check out the yeah. Extraordinary Lovers Retreat. You might see my girlfriend and I at one of those later this year. We've talked about it. Like That would be super fun. And then go to Lori's website yes. too if you want to check out her new book. Do you have an ETA on your book when it's going to come out? Um, I think it'll be out by Valentine's 2024. That's okay. what we're shooting for right now. We're in the final editing stages and I'm getting all the permissions. Like I've quoted mm-hmm. a lot of people, talked about a lot of my friends in that book. Mm-hmm. And now I have to get written permission from every single person and every product. Ooh. Like I name a lot of products mm-hmm. and I, you know, I give suggestions for women, uh, women's sexuality, things women mm-hmm. can use personally and things couples can use. And then I have a lot of suggestions for men's sexuality and products and things that they can use. And now I need to get permission for all of that. Sounds like a <laughs> monumental but necessary you, and noble task. 
<laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much, Laurie, for your time. This has been an awesome conversation. And thank you to everybody listening. Check out the show notes for a link to Laurie's website. And yeah, I hope you all have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. Thank you again, Laurie. Thank you, and, Taylor. Yeah. See you all next time. Before you go, I have a request. If you got a lot out of this episode, then it would mean a lot to me if you would take a moment right now and go over to Spotify or Apple and leave a review of this podcast. That'll help more people know that this podcast is actually worth listening to, and it'll help me know that you like it as well. And if you have any requests for the future, for future topics or future guests, please shoot me a message. Either send me a DM on Instagram or shoot me an email via the contact form on my website. I would love to hear from you. And with that, I'll say thank you again, and I hope you have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. I will see you in the next episode.